Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us for a Friday morning weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you. As I said to you off the air, and I'll say it uh, now with a lot of people, I'm sure, thinking the same thing. Call it a vote to you, the conference, UJA Federation, whoever was responsible. But obviously, we know that you get a tremendous amount of credit arranging the rally, going through all the logistics over the last, uh, I don't know, week, 10 days, whatever it took, uh, making sure that everybody would feel comfortable there. Uh, you even guaranteed good weather, and you came through with that. Uh, and we, I mean, we were in Israel, of course, but I had plenty of family members there, as I told you, and a lot of eyewitnesses, thousands who contacted me as I was watching things from Israel, and everyone felt that it was well-organized, uh, well-presented. Uh, so many people enjoyed the speakers, the entertainers, the celebrities, those who showed up, the members of the United States Congress who showed up and uh, were... Um, part of a historic photo, a historic uh, moment as far as I'm concerned. So, Malcolm, to kick things off, call a vote and thank you. Well, first of all, the JFNA and the conference and the many, many people who contributed financially and otherwise, it's an effort like this, especially when you have a short period of time, and it was a, a historic moment for the Jewish community the reactions from Israel, as I'm sure you heard, people there felt so buoyed, so um, they felt so alone for, and all the reports, you know, American Jews are this or that, to see that kind of a turnout, and even people who made it to it because the buses were slow because of other things, um, none of them griped about it. Everybody just felt good that they could be part of it, and I think it's a of the actors that has come out of October 7th that as I've said before on the show, I think it's a turning point in Jewish history. It is like 9-11 for us in many respects, but even more. The unity in Israel, the unity here, I think many people came to the realization that we are fighting over crumbs while the big picture is being ignored. We've tried to warn them decades on the show about what's developing and what is developing, and we've only seen the tip of the iceberg with the the violence of the demonstrations and the growing uh, support on campuses and elsewhere. Uh, I still believe the vast majority of the American people with us, Congress is with us, others are with us, and with Israel, and many more and more will get it and understand the nature of the enemy that we are confronting. But it's a moment to celebrate the and the impact, the agendas of bringing the plight of the hostages to the public was certainly accomplished of showing support for the U.S.-Israel relationship and, of course, for uh, fighting anti-Semitism. All of those things and how many tens of thousands of Christians and, and from Boca to Colombia to Alaska, the members of Kufi and other groups uh, organized and came to the, to the rally to identify. I think it's, it's a time, one moment, we'll have a, a respite to st- step back, not to ignore the realities around us and the challenges still ahead, but to show what we can be when we're amechad belevachad. It's obvious that you are concentrating, rightfully so, on those who did show up. So I'll make a commitment because I'm sure it will make you more comfortable in this public forum not to discuss anything about those who felt the need not to show up. Uh, But, yes, the list of those who were there and the list of those who made the commitment from all walks of life, as you just described, was rather remarkable. Can we talk about some of the moments? 
Um, and I know that there, are, that there are there are some people who might be. Um, it may have ruffled some feathers uh, in terms of the uh, the vote for aid to Israel that took place afterwards. But could you speak for a moment about what it was like having the entire congressional leadership hand in hand declaring uh, the support uh, and the unity with Israel at a moment like that? It was a very statement at a time when there's very little that everybody agrees on. And when we almost came to fisticuffs four or five times in one day in, in the in the Congress and the um, general tenor of divisiveness, just, and later the, the leaders of both House and Senate committees so that they're addressing anti-Semitism, uh, similarly appearing together and, and working together. And I met with them on stage and talked about some initiatives that we are looking forward to looking at, especially the foreign funding. And I hope everybody has seen the report about $13 billion from NCRI and ISGAP about the Qatari money that has flowed and, and that has flowed into our campuses and the correlation, which will be, which they will see between that foreign funding and increased anti-Semitism. But the fact that it wasn't disclosed, et cetera, that, they, I think we're going to see much more on it, and because they're unified. But in addition to those, on the floor, there were dozens and dozens of members of the, and the House who came. They didn't ask to be identified. They didn't look for, um, they didn't look for any recognition. They, uh, the senator from Pennsylvania, Betterman, was there in, in his uh, hoodie, but he was wearing an Israeli flag, and he, and he is big. And let me tell you, when you stand next to him, he is really. Uh, it was uh, remarkable to see, uh, from Steny Hoyer and Ben Cardin to uh, Ollie Langford, all of the others who came, uh, and just came to identify and to be with the with everyone. I uh, I got there are a couple of things that we got to unpack from what you just said. The first is. I mean, you would describe, I mean, to calm everyone down regarding the aid to Israel, you, you, would, you would probably say that we need to understand that politically things work a certain way in Washington. And you would say, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong. You would say the aid is going to get there. It just doesn't always get there the way you want it to get there. Is that be a good way of putting it? It's actually very good summary. I know that people were angry, particularly at Schumer. It is wrong. This was not a vote against the aid package. This is Democratic politics that was not just him, but it was widespread. And it has nothing to do with support for the package itself. There is broad support. If they would uh, uh, just a vote on aid to Israel, it would pass overwhelmingly. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there, there are connections to Ukraine aid. There's other things that entangle it, and uh, we shouldn't misread it. Uh, I just hope that they get the bill out matter what and they untangle it from all these complications in some way but uh i think that people have to understand sometimes the uh, political dances that take place and while we're on the subject of being upset about uh, <laughs> about some of the people that are not as vocal on these issues regarding israel I mean, Senator Fetterman, who, you know, I, I feel bad, frankly, that I may have said a thing or two about him in the past, uh, especially as he was running for the Senate seat. 
it, it is remarkable to see that it looks like he just has this deep-rooted love for Israel or for justice or for values or for freedom, wearing the Israeli flag, mocking those who are, you know, at, at free Palestine rallies. The rumor is he has pictures of hostages in his office. Do you know if that's true? It's not only true in his office. He has them on the outside, in the hallway, every one of the posters of the kidnapped. And he said to me, I'm going to leave them there until every one of them is free. He put up a single poster, every picture of, a, of one of the hostages, and it is in the hallway. If you remember, a certain member of Congress put up a Palestinian flag outside yep. her office. Yep. He uh, said, I don't care what things. He told this to me. I'm going to leave him up there. And I agree with you that many of us you know, had reservations, and he was running against a, you know, a favorite son uh, sort of candidate. Right. But... It is remarkable what he has done. And we talk about how obviously God controls the world, and it's always interesting to see, you know, how he puts certain people in certain positions and, you know, circumstances sometimes bring um, members of the House that I'm thinking of specifically, uh, you know, to victory in, in situations where you never expected it. Uh, here, many of us politically were disappointed that he won that election, and look at how we're reaping the benefits of how he won that election now. The whole thing is remarkable. Malcolm, uh, again, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm really not, I'm trying not to harp on the negative, but there are a couple of stories from Tuesday that we got to get to. Is, is this Detroit flight story accurate the way it's being reported that, that there was a group of workers that refused to, uh, uh, to, to come to work that day because they knew they'd have to shuttle these Jewish people, you know, from the, from the plane to the, to the gate at the airport. And they had no interest in doing that. It is true. And it is, they sat on the plane for 20 hours and the, uh, I think this is something that we will read a lot more about because I'm sure there are going to be lawsuits based on this. It wasn't the only instance of it, by the way. There were other bus drivers in different places of the country that didn't uh, uh, show up or didn't come uh, to fulfill what they had promised. It wasn't widespread. I mean, when you're talking about, I don't know, more than 1,500 buses that were registered in addition to all those that didn't register. Right. Um, uh, so... It's um, it, it is a phenomenon that we that uh, unfortunately we see how people are buying into the lies and the distortions and misrepresentations, and that the 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 rallies uh, and most many times violent rallies reflects that as well. That the uh, um, you know the, such distortions of the facts, and that it then becomes manifest in this way is disturbing. Um, so 99% logistically went fine. We got to keep that in mind. This was a very, very tiny percentage of people who tried to use the bus and plane situation for political purposes. Thank God 99% of the day went fine. And uh, I assume people sent you photos from the New Jersey Turnpike of the convoy of buses that were heading down? Yes, uh, people, I didn't, uh, people called me and told me about it. But also people coming from Virginia told me the same, called me and said to me, you won't believe this. And the, to see the uh, bus after bus handed in, in the direction 
you know, and we had to find places to park. I know people were sometimes upset that we that they changed the logistical people, uh, people who, who actually had to deal with the situation on the ground because RFK couldn't handle that many buses. And uh, at Excess Stadium, they had to be located in different places wow. uh, only because there was no room. And, you know, Washington is not used to getting that. And, you know, there have been million-man marches. I don't think they had as many people as um, as, uh, as we saw. And, and I have heard even from an official yesterday that the number we gave may have been a, a low estimate. Meaning it could have been over 300,000. Saying certainly that it was over 300,000. To me, that's what they said. Right. To me. But we're waiting for, for more aerial photos and things right. to do pretty amazing a uh, couple more things about the rally and obviously uh, uh, other very important things to get to how many arrests were there at the demonstration at the rally of over three hundred thousand people in washington on tuesday as uh, the police one policeman took one of the signs away from uh, a, a uh, protester and wrote on the back you well so you, you said, got you got cut out wrote on the back go ahead he said, wrote on the back, you're welcome. He said he never was at an event where so many people came up to him and said, thank you. Oh. And Mrs. Hagee told me that she was walked the perimeter of the entire, Pastor Hagee's wife, uh, the, the whole perimeter of the demonstration of the rally, and then wanted to get back into the, se- the section because her husband was going to speak. And... And she couldn't get in, so she went to one of the police officers and said, "My husband is speaking. Could you let me in?" And something. She he looked at her and he said, "Are you Mrs. Hagee?" <laughs> and she said, "Yes." He said, "I'm a member of Kufi Christian Community for Israel," and 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 he he had to stay in his place. So he called over some others policemen and said, "Could you take Mrs. Hagee?" They said, "Mrs. Hagee, we're all members of Kufi." Wow. Um, and and four police officers, members of Christian Church for Israel, they escorted her through like a queen up to the towards the podium so that that she could um, she'd be there. So I'm telling you, when, when you know the emphasis is always on the negative, and and you know we don't see these the good stories, the hidden stories of or the remarkable people uh, that manifested on street corners and other things. I saw one video of two young. Uh, girls, they wrote a sign said, "We are Jewish. We are all hurting. Could you give us a hug?" And how many people walked over <laughs> and was hugging them and, and coming over just to show support? And and how many non-Jews, including Muslims, by the way, sent money for the funds that are being raised for the families of the displaced? And I'm not saying it's typical of any community, but I, I can tell you that there were members of the Muslim community who came. Uh, many Arabs who are Christians, not but the the tremendous response of the of the Christian community. So not one incident with three hundred thousand people. I don't think it's ever occurred before. That's right. Not one arrest, not one harassment, and people were shoved and moved, and you know had to go into crowded areas because of the the turnout. No, but everybody loved it. They were feeling so high on it. With and the yeah, I'm sorry. Now, I was going to say, with that in mind, how bad do you feel for law enforcement officials around this country who are dealing with violent protests and, and completely, just completely out of hand violent protests, um, you know, on the other side? It's, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know how, and I, 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 I fear saying this, because I just hope they have the wherewithal and the ability and the necessary equipment 
to actually control these riots because God forbid, Malcolm, in certain neighborhoods, riots like this can get out of control and a lot of innocent people could be hurt. So, uh, you know, I think with the reports today of the cutbacks that's going to cut 4,000 policemen in the the next year will not be replaced and uh, the freezes that are going to take place, we're not not increasing police force, we're diminishing it, but also the orders. I saw a police car with the smashed in New York City with free Gaza and free Palestine on it and police standing nearby. They were clearly not, they were clearly ordered not to engage as right. wherever they couldn't. There were very few arrests. They have to be given a free hand. Stop it. This is, you know, violence. It's it's inspired online with the hateful uh, insiders and the seriousness of this, I think, only beginning to sink into people about the indoctrination of young people on campuses, even high school students stay to walk out of though it was very few, very few, um, but not on our campuses. And across the country, people should only see the reports that scans through community network and others get every day about the incidents on campuses and, and the fact that Jewish students are rethinking where they apply and where they'll be safe. It is unbelievable. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio, around the world, web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll go to the hostages in a moment. I think we have to start, though, with the hospital. Malcolm, uh, everybody needs to see, but at the minimum, they need to hear from you about these discoveries in the hospital in Gaza uh, over the last couple of days, I mean, could, could you t- could you tell us about the inventory that the Israeli army discovered this week? Well, first of all, it's not just this hospital, but in the other hospitals. But we know that the Shifa Hospital was a main center, and that, by the way, it was designed by Israelis. Israel built that hospital, so they know the infrastructure. They the obviously the underground tunnels were added by Hamas, and when people want to know where all the cement is and why they didn't build shelters, why they didn't build other things, is because all the cement went to 300 miles of underground tunnels. Wow. Very sophisticated. The fuel for them was stolen from by Hamas, and that's why there's not enough. They have a million liters supposedly, or half a million liters of of uh, fuel sitting in their storage houses, and anything that comes in, they take, including food and uh, and other. Um, uh, resources and the fuel that the hospitals need to run their facilities, the incubators, and all the other things. It, it's because Hamas stole it. Hamas destroyed the infrastructure of these places, and the the um, uh, the Israel is inside the complex. There's not been any reporting of shooting inside the complex. Israel brought doctors, medics, incubators to the hospital. The the um, uh, so the to try and help, uh, they they try to get people evacuated wherever it was possible, but the, the Hamas, in, which is really a war crime, used civilians, but most of all a hospital as a base. And you, they have found an entrance to an underground tunnel in the hospital. They found a huge number of rifles, ammunitions, uh, RPG launchers, other things there and in other hospitals, and. I think they will find much more. They also, unfortunately, discovered 170 bodies uh, which are being identified. As you know, one of the missing Noah Marciano's body was found. She was a 19-year-old uh, soldier uh, that was the only one identified so far. 
and uh, the the um, and we know that the leadership has left from there and moved down south. They went to Khan Yunus, they went to other places to hide all these courageous people who let their people die or sacrifice their people purposely and they themselves run and, and, and hide. So the hospital, uh, the, the several reporters were taken in to be shown what the real situation was on the ground. And of course, the BBC couldn't give it a straight report, but others did, and they're telling the truth about what they saw and the protection and the steps that Israel took to avoid any kind of casualties. This war could have been over a lot earlier if Israel just carpet-bombed everything and went in and, and did it without regard. You know, the tunnels are booby-trapped. We know that they, they, they put booby traps in the hospital, uh, in vests and things like that. The, the, um, the fact that Israel's acting surgically in these areas, which doesn't get uh, coverage, yes, civilians die, there's always collateral damage, but it's not because they're targeted. And I know from soldiers who have called me from the ground of, of attacks that were aborted even in the last minute because of civilians being in the, in the uh, area. So understand that what the reality on the ground is very different than the way it's being portrayed in Israel. And the United States, by the way, by virtue of intercepts and other things, also determined that there was a command center under the hospital. I don't even know if Israel, according, even according to our tradition... Even according to our legal tradition, I don't even know if Israel needs to act as "quote unquote" morally as they are. I think they're going beyond the call of duty in that area. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure we want a moral army. I think we want an army that actually can can do what you just described. And obviously, with all the pressures from the outside, you know, that does put a lot of pressure on Israel to uh, to behave differently than that. But uh, we have to recognize that they are going beyond the call of duty to protect civilians. Who likely are who likely are enemies of Israel? So we need to point that out. Also, it seems every day we're getting a news report that this leader of Hamas was eliminated, and this leader was eliminated, and this leader's family, and this leader's relatives. How many leaders do they need to get to get the whole leadership? I mean, sometimes I think we forget that the army of Hamas is a lot larger than we think. It's not just a few terrorists, but how many people are in leadership roles that that really need to be taken out by Israel? Many. And you're right, people don't know that the army of Hamas is 30 to 50,000 estimated. And the um, many of those who have been taken out were the commanders and the people responsible for organizing uh, the, the attacks and for participating in the attacks. Israel has facial recognition. They're going to hunt down those who came into Israel and carried out these attacks. It's going to be like they hunted down the Nazis. They're not going to be... And they hopefully will never be safe, no matter how long it takes to, to, to get them. And by the way, there were many civilians who participated up to the, down to the age of 10, according to eyewitnesses, who participated in the attacks and joined the Hamas forces once they breached the fence. Uh, so it, it, you're right. I know that you're not the first person to raise it about how many people. But Israel has not killed that many uh, uh, officers and stuff yet it's it's uh again surgical and they're going after specific targets but they're embedded in the population and they are uh you know they hide and run and hide so the underground tunnels and enable them to move from location to location to shoot from these things, then run down like rats into their holes and uh and therefore get away but don't worry they're getting them more and more are being eliminated 
I hear that. All right, to the hostages. Malcolm, you know the collective diaspora Jewish heart is aching uh, with the hostage situation. We've discussed that and call a vote to everybody outside of Israel who is uh, keeping them at the forefront and helping in whatever way possible to show support to our brothers and sisters. But in Israel, I don't have to tell you this, in Israel it is just uh, the pain there is so acute. And everywhere you go, the photos, the flyers, the tributes, now the march from Tel Aviv to Yerushalayim that took place this week with the families of the hostages and constant conversations on the air, on TV and radio there with family. I mean, it's, it's a very frustrating situation. Obviously, for the families, it's, uh, you know, they don't want to feel helpless and hopeless, but uh, they're not sure what to feel. Is there potential for a deal? Is the prime minister strong enough to not accept a deal unless all the hostages are exchanged? What could you tell us regarding the latest in this area of news? Well, it depends which deal you're talking about. The ultimate deal will have to be everybody, all the hostages, and the eradication of the Hamas leadership, uh, but also many of their members, because the cancer can't be allowed to remain or it will metastasize, and we will just feel it more and more. Uh, in the future, they regroup, as we've seen that they've done in the past. There is still a lot of infrastructure in Khan Yunus. There are, are other places, and they we know that they have moved to the south, even though they try to block the, the people from going south. And Israel had to move in to protect them. They, they shot and killed people. Hamas shot and killed people uh, when they uh, started to move uh, down south. So the... the uh, uh, you know, the elimination of of uh, the people, of the leadership is only a first stage. And I think any deal, aside from an interim deal, there could be something interim. There's talk of releasing 50 women and children of the hostages in exchange for women and children being held in Israeli jails. That's something Israel might be willing to do. They're not going to be willing to let the murderers go. We, we paid a heavy price in the past for these deals. And I think that the Israeli public is not favoring that. But obviously Israel, you know, every single individual, no soldier left behind, no nobody abandoned. This is a primary responsibility. But you can't let Hamas think or feel that they can get away with whatever they want as long as they play and, and, and tug at our heartstrings with the hostages. They have to release them, and the West has to put all the pressure on them all the interventions have to be made and to get the, hopefully get them home. But what they're talking about now is not a deal, long-term deal. It's a short-term deal with maybe some sort of a, a brief uh, uh, conditional um, lull in the fighting. Uh, I don't want to say a ceasefire because it's not a ceasefire. It will be a humanitarian pause to to enable the exchange to take place. But it would have to be on condition that people don't leave in that they can, can't can regroup and, and use this. They will because they do it underground. But obviously getting 50 women and children back is is a, a, a priority and, and something they can't just dismiss out of hand. The prime minister last night on national television here said that he believes that until the Israeli movement into the hospital that we were speaking of earlier, I don't remember the name of the hospital, uh, he, Shifa. Shifa Hospital. He felt that, uh, or, or he had, he had um, some evidence, uh, that's what he was alluding to, that all the hostages were being held there in one central location. Um, is that a, I guess that's a good sign that, 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 that they, 
that if in fact they were being held all together, I'm assuming that's a good sign. We all have this terrible fear of the haphazard behavior of the enemy and how, God forbid, they may have just, you know, strewn people about and left people abandoned in different places. Uh, if that's in fact accurate, what the prime minister said, it, it, wouldn't that be a positive thing? It would be positive in, in uh, some respects, and but the fact is that they're there. They found evidence of the hostages having been there. They also found computers with pictures of some of the hostages. And um, it's very interesting that, this, that they leave all their laptops behind, yeah. and it provides a wealth of information to Israel, both in terms of identities but also whatever pictures and that they had uh, the, their own body cams, which is where a lot of the information is coming from, from the you know these the attackers who were killed and and uh, captured from their body cams, they can identify and and uh, know who some of the attackers and and know more of the details, because people always ask me that. Uh, and and by the way, one of the things that, the benefits of the the rally in Washington was how it. it it lifted the spirits of Israelis who, yeah. who always think that they, you know, they're alone, and they get all the reports, uh, you know, that of indifference. It clearly is not true, and for that alone, it was worth um, worth having it. No, oh, totally agree with that. But I, so many other benefits as well, as you said, with the government officials, especially. And I don't know. I'm hoping that that uh, as the strength of the Jewish community becomes more and more revealed to people i'm hoping that that will you know <laughs> that that will uh, deter the enemy from continuing its efforts in this country the scary notion of the anti-semitism that you again described earlier both in communities and in uh, and on campuses and in in general watching these violent activities uh, by the free palestine movement which sometimes as you described is uh, is not acted upon by the police these are really really frightening moments uh, i'm i'm hoping that the uh, the strength of the Jewish community will convince law enforcement officials, members of the government, and others that that this these these situations need to be taken much more seriously. But the, Nachum, you have to remind people also: look at the calls that are coming now out from it's called for a global intifada, New York to Gaza, and we've seen these kinds in Europe, uh, similar things, and where the uh, also we've had very violent demonstrations. And the mobilization that is increasing, and they are attracting people, young people, to a cause. You know, they they managed to, uh, you know, the intersectionality that we've talked about often about the linking BLM and all these other movements into, to the uh, what they, you know, their their protests about free Palestine. I know that people were asked this this about the uh, when they were yelling "river to the sea." They went up to them and said, "What river are you talking about?" They had no clue, yeah, they can't let alone what seat they're talking about. Are you aware of this New York Post article uh, that there's a Palestinian, pro-Palestinian group that's sharing anti, an anti-Semitic map of New York City targets, meaning literally the homes and public locations of those associated with the Jewish community? No, I did not know about that. And I'm going to send yeah. it to you right now. I mean, reprehensible is the word that they use. I, I would use much stronger language than that. Uh, but there are literally, you know, just like, I mean, I hate to make this comparison, but you know that there were maps uh, developed by people who had worked in different cities in the south of Israel that were given to the enemy and that were that were shared. Uh, literally, maps where they described in each home who will be there, who's likely to be there during the Chag. I heard a story like that over... Uh, 
over um, uh, my trip, which was remarkable. Uh, you, you know, they, they were describing the way it is Shabbat morning in these towns, and they didn't realize that some people would be away because it was Shemini Atzeris, and they were taking off to go to other family for Yuntif. Um, but, I mean, this, this is incredible. This is, it, it seems to me the same type of thing, where if there is a Jewish home, there's now a map that's going to describe where those Jewish homes are. That is outrageous. It's also dangerous, and um, and they have no limits. And I think the the, the ha- it has to be exposed for one thing. And uh, but I do think that the they take it seriously. You know, the event was made a level one event by the Department of Homeland Security, the Washington event, which means the highest level, right. um, and at our request. Uh, and therefore, they they provided a lot of protection. A lot of uh, manpower was was uh, present. But, you know, we can't have people in every corner. So everybody in their neighbors have to be much yeah. more alert, no much more aware, and report things. Don't not report any incident. It has to be reported. Were there a That's lot the of uh, counter-demonstrations on Tuesday or not? I no. That you're not aware of anything significant? Well, there was one by the uh, those guys who dress up as Jews. You mean the guys, and, the, uh, you mean the guys that the Satmareba openly said do not belong within our community? Absolutely, and it's something that Rabbi you know, the real, the previous Atma Rebbe said to me personally. He said that uh, you know these are not our people. This is not our way, and um, I think that the you know their pictures should be everywhere, and they should not be allowed into any synagogue, especially they come collecting. It, there's somebody who pays for this stuff because they're they're, they're you know in larger numbers now, but that they marched. With them, with and and calling from the river to the sea, marching, and they put him up front as clowns. They put him up front because they knew that this would get uh, media attention. Yeah. And it's a small group. They're, they are the most extreme and and uh, should be literally written off the Jewish community. And there has to be some concerted action because it's Hashem every time yeah. they appear, as they appear with the Iranians, as they appear with others. But now they're bringing their children into it. It's, it's it, well, obviously I feel and very I am, strongly. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, as, I'm as frustrated as anybody else. And the best thing to do would be to ignore them. And, of course, it's impossible. You, you walk by, it's almost impossible to ignore them because they bring out such emotion from everybody, especially the Holocaust survivors, children of Holocaust survivors, and plenty of other people in our community. Last thing, Malcolm, just, uh, I mean, we, we had the speech, I think it was two weeks ago, right? Nasrallah was two Fridays ago, if I'm not mistaken, unless I'm losing track of time. Are, are things relatively the same up north or not? No, they, they, uh, it's, it's kept at a low simmer. The belief is that, that uh, Hezbollah does not want to have an all-out war, and they say because they know that the price that Lebanon will pay. Iran sent an interesting message yesterday, or maybe it was the day before by the time we got it, that to the, to Hezbollah, to Hamas, that they will not enter the war, that they will give them political and material support as they have all along, $100 million minimum a year, probably much more, uh, but that they're not going to enter the war. And they said that essentially telling them, you fight your own battles. Hezbollah has, <clears throat> has basically stayed out, even though they've been under a lot of pressure by Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad to come into it and open up the front. They fire every day, and then it is not innocent fire because people get hurt. And, you know, they fire these anti-tank missiles, which carry an explosive warhead that can has killed and does a lot of damage. I think that the you know it's it's a very tense situation. Many many people have been evacuated. The northern cities are are more or less empty, and the uh, so it's not 
as quiet as uh, the lack of attention would indicate. But, you know, when you keep this at a very low flame, so it doesn't compare to the newsworthiness of being able to show the pictures in the South. Again, people should be very careful. Don't believe what you hear in the media. Check out every story, every report. The Israeli army is acting with such precision and such care, and only a small percentage of them have been actually have actually been allowed into the area. So it's um, a very different circumstance than than people know. Understood. Uh, all I could say again is kolakavod to you and all the organizers, Baruch Hashem, and kolakavod really to all the three hundred thousand plus people that were there in Washington on Tuesday. Um, you, you know, Malcolm, I have to tell you this: history changes. When when rallies that size, take, I'm not even referring to the Jewish community necessarily at this point, but they they are also in the in the category. History changes when rallies of this proportion take place in Washington D.C. So this was a historic rally, and as you said, it likely will cause positive change in many different ways. I agree, and but it can't end it. This should be uh, just another step for forward, and you know we have to build on it. We have to keep making our voices heard. I beg people to contact their congressmen, give them, thank them for what they do right, and you know, urge them to 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 support the legislation, the aid, which is so vital. Israel's expending, I think, fifty billion dollars on this war. That's half their GDP. Twenty percent of the workforce is out. Do you see the the uh, amazing pictures of Hasidim who were sent down to help pick the fruit, and how many volunteers, people came from the states, farmers non-Jews from Texas and Oklahoma who went there to, to and to fill in uh, there's the needs are going to be immense and we have to stand by them know what you give to don't just give because somebody sends you a heartbreaking appeal make sure it but the needs are real and uh, and and you don't have to be from Pennsylvania to send a thank you email to Senator Fetterman no, you do not and and the problem is that the other side is automated this and sending out a, a multiple of of the messages that we get appeals from from senators and others saying why, why, staff saying why are we not hearing enough because you know we take for granted our friends no we do not take them for granted but you know they're doing the right thing so yeah. what we but you have to be reminded and told that that it is the right thing and we do appreciate it and we take note of it yeah. and not whether it's your congressman or others there are ways you can send messages and add your names to lists that uh, show them that Hakarasatov uh, to all of those who stand with us. Yeah, send an email before Shabbos, everybody, to a member of Congress or senator from your state. It'll be much appreciated. It takes these and call and can call. call that, uh, but uh, my point is, it takes a second to do it. But you're right; you could sit on the phone for a minute and do that as well. 100. percent Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak next week. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us on uh, Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.